This is Psalms to God, Season 3, Episode 7, Why I Miss the Segregated Church. This is a special episode, so the show notes will be closer to a full transcript, and you can find those on the blog at www.psalmstogod.com. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, NASB. Psalms to God podcast. Thank you for being patient with me as I have been taking time away to grieve and to wrap my head around the fact that I'm moving. Um, I've been bogged down with a lot of stuff and I haven't really had the time that I'd like to have to put into the podcast. I'm not quite fully back yet. Um, I am relocating the first week of May, so you can expect that I will be back full time sometime in mid-May with releasing episodes once a week. I hope to get back to that and maybe even do two a week to make up for all the time that I missed. We'll see what happens. Um, But I did experience something very important and very um, close to my heart recently. And I did want to take the time to record an episode to talk about this particular thing. If you have been following my podcast for a while, you know that last year this time, I was very unhappy. Um, I was very angry with a lot of people and I was in a rough headspace. And some of it, I'm not sure I fully understood myself. I did go back and read some of my own posts, my own writings about how I was feeling And it does seem to mirror some of the things that I realized recently, but I don't think I fully understood what I was trying to say. And I had trouble expressing that to people. And recently, I think I finally got into the root of what those things were. So I'm bringing that topic back. Some of you may be sick of hearing it, but I'm bringing it back for my own peace of mind and clarity. um, And because I think that it's something that people need to hear. I wanna start out by talking about how we're raised as children. We are taught to be tolerant and inclusive. And the idea of being exclusionary or exclusionary is something that's very, very foreign to us. Last year this time, I shocked my own self by becoming very, very unhappy with attending a multicultural church. I very much missed attending an all-black church, and I really, really wanted to go back to that. I missed Negro spirituals and black history programs. I missed black pastors relating the trials of the Israelites to the trials that black people have today. 
I missed the fact that the people that I saw at City Hall fighting for justice were the same people sitting in my congregation. And I missed the unity that came from shedding diversity. Last May, after the death of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, which sounding familiar, right? Because we just ended a week where a lot of black people either died or were harassed or ended up in some kind of confrontation, little girl's hair being cut off. We're still in the exact same place a year later, even though so many people claim to have opened their eyes and realized what was going on. Nothing has changed. I'm not surprised, but nothing has changed. And after the George Floyd murder last year, there was absolute mayhem. And I'm not talking about the riots. People have been rioting since Rodney King, okay? That's not new. I'm talking about what was happening in conversations between so-called Christians. We had been bombarded or blindsided by COVID and the church was already grappling with communication issues. How do we connect people together? And the church that I attended was a very large church. So you're trying to bring together, you know, almost a thousand people and that's very difficult. So on top of that, you have people saying things that are extremely insensitive. People who are not black and don't understand what's happening or don't care to understand what's happening. And they're saying the first thing that comes to their head, which is from their own perspective. They're not thinking about how black church members may feel and they don't care. They're not thinking about the church's part in any of this. They're just saying what they think. And the leadership was not necessarily controlling these conversations or um, moderating these conversations, for lack of better words. Um, I'm sure they were busy doing something else. I don't really know. But mayhem was ensuing. And occasionally people like myself who have a bit of a short fuse and can only take so much would step up and say something. And when we did then we would get reprimanded because now we're derailing the conversation or they don't like what we've said or the way we've said it or whatever. And it was a hot mess. And all of this culminated in a group church conversation where we were allowed to express ourselves. And during this group church conversation, I found myself expressing the desire to go to an all black church. And as I was saying it, I kind of shocked myself. I didn't really realize that that's what I was about to say. I didn't really realize that's how I felt. But as I said it, I was like, oh, I no, I, that's how I feel. <laughs> and, you know, it came out of my mouth. I thought about it and I was a little shocked. I was like, oh, wow, this goes completely against my upbringing. Like, I don't I don't believe that, you know, I don't. It's not like, oh, I, I don't want to be around white people or I don't want to be around Asian people or, or whomever. But at that moment, I was like, but I really do feel like this. And I thought it was emotions. I thought that I was being emotional, that I was reacting to the moment and to what was happening. And that as I had time to cool down and to process things, that I wouldn't feel that way in like a month. I thought it would just go away. 
and that maybe I didn't really remember that. But months passed and I still felt that way. In fact, I ended up having even more heated conversations with people and I realized that I really didn't want to be there in that moment. I just wanted to go to an all black church, particularly an all African American church. Um, For those who are unaware of the complexities and diversity within black culture, just because someone is black does not mean they're descended from American slaves. It does not mean that they have the same history or the same culture. Um, Some of us are born, raised, all of our ancestry as far back as we can trace is here in America. You also have Caribbeans, people from Jamaica, people from Haiti, from Trinidad, um, from the Bahamas, all of these other islands. Their ancestors too were enslaved, but many of them um, migrated from there to here. So you'll meet people who refer to themselves as Jamaican or Jamaican American because their ancestry is from Jamaica. And while we do both share a shared history of being enslaved, what that history looks like is slightly different and how we were shaped because in the aftermath, you'll have to remember in the aftermath for the Caribbean countries, they ended up in predominantly black nations. So countries like Jamaica and Haiti, whereas those of us who were in, whose ancestors were enslaved in the United States, they came out of slavery into the Jim Crow South. So it's not quite the same experience. So we often have different views on what's happening. And so as I talk about my situation and as I'm talking about this multicultural church, many of the people that I'm clashing heads with are black people. They're just not descended from American slaves. And so we have very different perceptions and very different experiences and viewpoints on what America looked like. And if you remember, I went over some of my experiences last year when all of this was going down. Uh, The links will be in the show notes if you missed it or if you don't remember or whatever. So you can check those out. Um, And I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to, you know, drag that out. But what I really wanted to get into today is this concept of inclusion and being colorblind. The main issue that I had last year was that the church doesn't really want to accept their role in racism. And the Western church and racism kind of go hand in hand together. Like it's very hard to separate racism from the church. In fact, many of my earliest experiences with racism happened at a church. Um, You know, I grew up in an area where churches were highly segregated and are still segregated. And, you know, everything we look at when it comes to the church, you know, Europeans whitewashed the entire Bible. They have people thinking that this white man with blue eyes is Jesus. And that's not Jesus. That's some random man from Europe. And people are hanging this in their house. They're hanging it in their church. And a lot of churches would rather continue this tradition than make people feel uncomfortable by one, pointing out that that's not Jesus, and two, pointing out that that's a violation of the second commandment because you're not supposed to be worshiping images. But I digress. The thing is, there was this desire for us to pretend like race 
didn't exist. For us to come into this building together, we are neither Jew nor Greek, and we are going to be happy together without ever acknowledging the sins of the past, without ever acknowledging how we got to this point, without acknowledging or affirming why black people are hurt or why we may have trouble trusting our white Christian brothers and sisters. Instead, they want us to just pretend like nothing has happened, not talk about it, and just, you know, keep it moving. And recently, as I've been preparing for this move, I've been made very, very aware of how hard it is to live out this colorblind mentality. If you pay attention to the news, you may have heard several stories about how black couples and also this interracial couple um, have been denied appropriate appraisal values for their homes. As black people sell their homes, when the white appraiser comes in and sees that it's owned by black people, whether consciously or subconsciously, they lower the values of the house. There's plenty of uh, articles and statistics and everything else to show that routinely they devalue black homes. I'm listing some of those articles in the show notes that are super recent. I'm talking about as recent as February 2021 recent. Um, And what has been found is that a lot of times when these black couples remove all evidence of their blackness from their house and they allow a white person to step in for them, their houses are granted extremely more value. One couple, the the multiracial couple, um, I think that their house went up by something like $100,000 and the black couple's house went up by $500,000, guys. That's a lot of money. So when I got ready to put my house on the market, all of this is running through my head and I'm like, okay, I need to take my blackness out of the house. And when this thought first appeared in my head, I thought it would be simple. I have a couple of photos of myself and my family. I have a couple of uh, pictures that were hanging that were of, you know, African art. And I was like, okay, so I take down this African statue. I take down this African art. I take down all the personal pictures of myself and my family members, and I'm good. So that's what I did. I took down these things. I hung up some other pictures that I had um, that I had chosen not to hang up. And I was like, okay. That was simple. So I'm tucking these pictures away in my garage, hidden out of sight. And as I'm walking through the house cleaning, I noticed a book on my bookshelf called How Long Till Black Future Month. And I was like, oh, maybe I should move that book. And as I'm looking at the bookshelf, I start seeing a lot of black literature. I start seeing things like, is Christianity the white man's religion? Uh, a collection of African folk tales. I see lots and lots and lots of Toni Morrison. I see things like Roots, the autobiography of Malcolm X, right? I have a lot of black literature on my bookshelf because I am a black person. Now, granted, I have other literature on my bookshelf. I have, you know, books like Crazy Rich Asians. I have books like The Poet X, which is by a Hispanic author. I have The Unknown Americans, which is also by a Hispanic author. 
I have a sci-fi novel written by an Arab American author. But overwhelmingly, my bookshelf is very black. And so I started taking down the titles that I thought were the most militant, I guess, the most obviously black, the most only a black person would be reading that. And then I left up the ones that I thought, you know, could get away with being like, oh, this person is just interested in multicultural ideas. And I grouped them with books by my by Asian authors, groups, you know, um, Latina and Latino authors, the Arab author that I have. And I kind of grouped them together into like this multicultural section to try to make it seem like I just have an eclectic uh, taste of, of books. And then I pulled out to the forefront books like Lord of the Rings and... Um, I have these other historically historical fiction books that are by some white authors and they have like white people on the covers and, and things like that. And so I like I brought those closer to the forefront so that it would look a lot more white. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, OK, cool. I got the bookshelf, got this box. It's super heavy now because I took half the books off the bookshelf and I'm lugging this out to the garage. And as I exit my living room, I notice the DVD shelf. And the DVD shelf has a whole lot of black movies. I'm talking all the Tyler Perry movies, the entire Boondock series. We got Drumline, we got Roll Bounce, we got, uh, you know, The Barbershop. I can't even think of all these movies. The, the Bodyguard, Love and Basketball, you know, all the classic black movies. And so I'm starting to try to take these off the shelf and I realize there are too many to put in a box. So I go on the shelf below and I pull out all of like the Disney movies that I have and I stack them in front of the black movies so that you can't see the black movies behind them. Then I have to go find things to decorate the shelf with like candles so that the shelf doesn't look weirdly empty. This is the extent I'm going to to try to remove the blackness from my house and once I've done this I'm like okay surely I am done it's been a long day I'm tired I'm going to take a bath so I go to the bathroom to run some water in the bathtub and I look at my countertop and here is the kinky curly the the shea moisture the just for me I, I don't know why I said just for me I don't get relaxers anymore but I'm exaggerating but there's all of these hair products that are clearly for black people. I have deep conditioners, I have gels, I have oils, um, and most of my hair products are from black owned companies. So I've got like Cantu shea butter, just like pure shea butter for my hair. And I've got that wooden handled br uh, brush with the black bristles. White people don't use that in their hair. I've never seen a white person with that brush. Then I have the wide tooth combs and then I have a bonnet and scarves. And I'm like, oh, I gotta hide all this too because they're gonna know that this is a black woman's bathroom. So I'm rushing through all of my supplies in the bathroom trying to figure out what to do with these hair supplies and how can I hide them without completely inconveniencing myself because I still have to wash my hair while I live here while I'm trying to sell my house. And I became very, very aware 
of how black I am. I realized that like, I just, no matter how hard I was trying, I could not remove the fact that I was black from the house. And even after I did all of this, there are still little things left in the house, left up. If you were to go find the staged photos that are on the internet from me trying to sell my house, you will be able to find evidence that I am a black person. Even I looked back and I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. And if you were to go to lengths, you would see it and you'd be like, yeah, that's a black person's house. It is intrinsic to my experiences. And it's crazy because black doesn't exist. Race doesn't exist. It's a societal construct. But because of how our society is shaped, because of our experiences and the fact that I do have a different type of hair than a, you know, your average white person, then these, th these sorts of things just appear. They just manifest. And as I was sitting there on the floor trying to sort through all of my stuff and trying to figure out what was acceptable to be on display and what was not acceptable to be on display, it reminded me of this situation at church. When I go before God, he knows that I'm black because I cannot shed all of my experiences and go before him as a colorless being. He did not create me as a colorless being. He created me as a black woman. And he has been there for all of those experiences. The experiences that I take with me to him, he was sitting there with me when I went through those experiences. He was there with me when I watched my grandmother panicking because she thought that white men were gonna take away our family's land. He was with me when I was a little kid and white kids were calling me the N-word. He was with me when an Asian person told me that she was glad her half black daughter didn't have hair like me. He was with me when my white teacher said that I would end up pregnant and in jail because that's what happens to black youth. He was there with me when the Asian department chair of the computer science department at a particular school told me that I didn't have what it takes to earn a PhD. And he was with me when I walked across the stage to earn my PhD. He was with me when I learned to love my hair. And he was with me when I learned not to shrink myself into a corner trying to blend into the whiteness that surrounded me. He understands every faucet of who I am. He understands me as a black person. He understands me as a woman. He understands me as an American. He understands me as a single woman. He understands me and he doesn't expect me to strip myself of my identity to come before him so that I can be colorless. And when I come before him, he has a message for me. Matthew chapter 18 verse 12 says, what do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Will he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? Last week, no, two weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I watched a sermon that spoke straight into my heart. 
It is the sermon that I've been waiting for since last year. It was directed specifically to black people. That's not to say that other people cannot and would not get anything from it. That's not to say that other people should not listen to it. In fact, I'm talking to you. If you are not black, I still think you should listen to it. It'll be linked in the description and in the show notes. You should listen to it. It touched my heart because it was the message that I needed to hear. Sometimes God has a message for the one. And in the recent events, and by recent events, I mean the last couple hundred years of American society, there has been trauma and hurt and just everything you can think of inflicted upon the black community and continuously we are bombarded with the messages that we're supposed to forgive that we're supposed to talk to white people and teach them how to understand us that we're supposed to be patient with them that we're supposed to make them feel welcome and make them feel included and we're supposed to learn how to interact with them and we get tired we get frustrated And a lot of times these same white people don't want to admit any of the things that have happened. And we're tiptoeing on eggshells, trying not to offend these white people. And that's what I felt like was happening in the multicultural church. We don't want to offend the white people. We don't want to make them uncomfortable. They are a minority in our church. And so we don't want them to feel the way we feel every day when we go outside of these walls. We want to try to protect them from that feeling. And I think that comes from a, a grand place, a noble place. Maybe I had too much trauma in my, in my childhood to care because my reaction was always, they'll get over it. Um, but sometimes you gotta leave the 99. And by the 99, I'm talking about the white people, the white majority that have established this Eurocentric view of Christianity in America. Sometimes you gotta leave the 99 and let them fend for themselves to go after the one. You got to go after the one because God has a message for the one that is suffering. And he's trying to bring them back into his fold. You see, while we are so busy tap-toeing, tiptoeing around these issues and tap-dancing around what's important, instead of tackling the issues, we're losing particularly black youth from the church. Black youth are being bombarded with messages about how Christianity is racist, about how it's the white man's religion. And instead of tackling these issues head on, the church doesn't want to address them. They want to tap tap dance and tiptoe around it and make the white people feel comfortable. And at the end, you're still losing people. You're just losing the black people and you don't care about losing the black people because the white people are more important. That's the message that is being sent. But what I realized is that I was longing for a message that God had for me in my time of need, and I wasn't getting it. We have churches out here singing reckless love, and they're belting out the line about him leaving the 99. But we forget that we're not always the one that he's going after. Sometimes we're the 99 that get left behind, that need to be able to hold down the fort while he's out pursuing that one. We live in a society where 
particular groups are often mistreated and abused and belittled. And those groups are the people that God is going to go after. He's going after the black people that are longing for justice. He's going after the people in the LGBT community that have questions. He's going after the Asian people that are scared to step out of their house right now. He's going after the women who have been abused and raped and tortured. He's going after the immigrants that were locked in cages at the border. He's going after the refugees that survived these wars. And those messages that he has for them may hurt your feelings. They may hurt my feelings because maybe I didn't do enough for that group. Maybe you didn't do enough for that group. Maybe I'm part of the reason that group is hurting. Maybe you're part of the reason that group is hurting, but it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the message for the one. Now, I'm in the process of relocating. So of course, I'm not going back to the church that I was going to before COVID started because I'm not going to be here. And if you had asked me, when I first decided that I was leaving, when I got my new job and I knew that I was gonna be moving away, I would have told you I'm going to look for a black church. I'm telling you, I realized that I 100% meant that I missed going to a black church. As I've melded over this and I've thought about it and I've, I've meditated on it and I've prayed on it, I have had great friend groups that have been extremely diverse. In fact, here, is one of the few places where my friend groups was predominantly black, but it's still very diverse. Most of my friends here are not black American. They are Caribbean and they're all from different islands within the Caribbean. So it's still a diverse group. And there are great things about diversity. There are things I love about diversity, but there are things I hate about it. And the worst thing in the world is to be experiencing trauma and have people around you that claim to love you, claim to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only do they not want to talk about it, do they not want to hear your point of view, but they refuse to acknowledge their part in it. They refuse to acknowledge that anything even happened. I don't like that. I don't want to be a part of that. And I think that the church, in order to be a multicultural church, in order to be a successful multicultural church, you have to realize that you cannot obstruct the message that's for the one just because the 99 aren't ready to admit to the truth. You cannot. You, you cannot do that. So all I can say is that when I get to my final destination, I will be looking for a church body that isn't afraid to leave the 99 to go after the one. And I hope that you are also willing to go after the one. And I hope that I am willing to go after the one. And I hope that when the shoe is reversed, that I'm willing to listen and be part of the 99 that's not being pursued because it's not my turn. So, with that being said, I know that was heavy for me to have been gone for a while and come back and drop that heavy bomb on you guys, but it's been on my heart and I wanted to go ahead and let you guys hear it and put it out there. So I will be gone for another three weeks or so and then I will be back and hopefully back on a cheerier note. But in the meantime, you can always check me out on Instagram. I have been posting there 
somewhat, uh, maybe not as frequently as I would like to, but I am still around. You can always check me out there. You can check out the show notes on the blog and let me know if there's anything you would like to hear in the upcoming episodes. I'm always open to that. I will see you guys as soon as possible. Bye.